Please open your Bibles to Isaiah for our scripture reading. We are beginning a new sermon series, Save for a Life of Faith, um, and we'll be going through the book of Isaiah. So we'll read Isaiah chapter 1 today. So Isaiah, starting in verse, chapter 1, verse 1. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which, was, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Why will you still be stuck, struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. Your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. In your very presence, foreigners devour your land. It is desolate, as overthrown by foreigners. And the daughter of Zion is left like a booth in a vineyard, like a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath in the calling of convocations, I cannot endure iniquity in solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. 
But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. How the faithful city has become a whore, she who was full of justice, righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross, your best wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. Therefore, the Lord declares, the Lord of hosts, the Mighty One of Israel, Ah, I will get relief from my enemies and avenge myself on my foes. I will turn my hand against you and will smelt away your dross as lie and remove all your alloy. And I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion shall be redeemed by justice and those in her who repent by righteousness. But rebels and sinners shall be broken together, and those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed, for they shall be ashamed of the oaks that you desired, that you shall blush for the gardens that you have chosen. For you shall be like an oak whose leaf withers, and like a garden without water, and the strong shall become tender, and his work a spark, and both of them shall burn together, with none to quench them. Happy Father's Day. On occasion, I hear a sound coming from my phone, and you have it on your phone also. That is the sound. That's kind of a harsh sound, isn't it? It's a sound you don't like to hear, but uh, it's a sound that says to us, danger, 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 something bad is happening. There's something wrong because of the emergency sound that's coming through our phone. Uh, we, lately, we have been hearing this particular sound, some with regard to bad weather. I think they're going to have to hear that sound all the time with all the rain that we've been having. But we hear this sound whenever there is something bad that is happening. Lately, I have been hearing that emergency sound in my head whenever I hear a certain phrase. And the phrase is this. I like to think of God as fill in the blank. Either me or someone else will read something in the Bible, and we don't like what we read about God. In response to this Bible reading, we say to ourselves, I don't like to think of God this way. I like to think of God as whatever it is. Now, when I hear these words being said either by myself or someone else, I also hear in my head, danger, danger danger. Many people think of God simply as a bigger or better version of themselves. We think, hey, God is just like me, only with a a little bit more power and a little bit more moral consistency, just, just a little bit. 
But what have we done when we think this way? We have made God in our likeness. Genesis chapter 1 says that God made us in his likeness. But we tend to make God in our likeness. And that is dangerous. It's dangerous because we only discover the truth about ourselves as we truly know God. Today we begin a sermon series from the book of Isaiah, which will run through the rest of this year. We will see in this book that God saves us for a life of faith. We are not just saved by faith, which we are, but we are also saved to live a life of faith. But the book of Isaiah opens with an emergency alert. God's people in Jerusalem and in Judah are not living by faith. They are rebelling instead against God. They are sinning against their holy God. Isaiah then opens his prophecy by saying to his people, Danger, danger, danger. Life in Jerusalem and in Judah is not the way it's supposed to be. The people had lost their privileges with their gracious God. And sometimes we also, because of our sin, lose our privileges with God. So what do you do when you lose those gracious privileges? Let's look at Isaiah chapter 1 today and see how to regain those privileges with God. First of all, you regain God's gracious privileges by repenting of political sins. We see the setting for Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 1. Isaiah prophesied to four different kings of Judah who are mentioned in verse 1. Judah was the southern kingdom of Israel that had split from the northern ten tribes of Israel right after King Solomon's reign. Isaiah's Ministry as a prophet of God lasted for more than 40 years, beginning about 745 B.C. Isaiah begins his ministry by telling Judah what is plain to everyone. Our country is broken. God reveals Judah's broken state by means of a courtroom drama. God is the judge who calls court to order in verse 2. God's people of Judah, his children, are the accused. And who is the jury? God calls heaven and earth to be the jury in verse 2. Heaven and earth, they had seen all that God had done for Israel by his grace. Judah then should have known that it was in deep trouble at this trial when it looked out at the jury. The created universe is always going to be on the side of the creator. The deck was stacked against Judah in this trial. And the people of Judah, they were guilty as charged. They were God's children, according to verse 2. He had reared them and he had brought them up as their father. God had chosen Israel to be his people. He had adopted them. He had freed them from slavery in Egypt by his grace and by his power. 
He had made a covenant with Israel to be their father, to be their God, and they would be his children. If they kept the covenant, if they obeyed God's commands, God would bless their nation. But if they disobeyed, God would punish the children of Israel and they would be judged. This is all spelled out in the terms of the covenant that are found in the Old Testament books of of Deuteronomy, chapter 28 and 29. Prophets like Isaiah, they were God's covenant enforcers. They told Judah whenever it fell short of God's standards. And so what did Isaiah tell Israel at this time? Verse 2 says, you have rebelled against God. They have sinned. They of all people, the ones who had received gift after gift after gift of grace from God, they had rebelled against their God. So in verse 3, Isaiah says to the people, you guys are dumber than animals. At least oxen and donkeys, they know who feeds them. But Judah rebelled against the one who was providing food for her each day. And so God punished her. Judah looked like a broken down, beaten up slave, according to verses 5 and 6. There was no health in this nation, just bruises and sores and wounds. The land of Judah was desolate, according to verse 7. Just like God had warned in the book of Deuteronomy, when Israel breaks its covenant with God, the promised land would be cursed. The land would not produce food. Instead, the land would be eaten up and devoured by foreign nations. The land, indeed, had been invaded by the Assyrians in Isaiah's day. So why was Judah so broken as a political nation? Verses 9 and 10 indicate that the problem was that Judah was just like Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, in case you are wondering, it is never a good thing when God compares you to Sodom and Gomorrah. What had God done to those two cities? He had completely destroyed them because of their rebellion and sin against God. It is only because of God's mercy that Jerusalem and Judah had some survivors, according to verse 9. So verse 4 is the key for us that explains what's happening to the nation of Judah in Isaiah's day. It explains the difference between the way things are and the way things should be. It shows the contrast between the actual and the ideal. There are four words in verse 4 that show the privileges that Judah had received from God. As gifts of grace, Judah was God's nation, God's people, God's offspring, and God's children. What incredible gifts of grace that God had given to Judah to be called such things. But now Judah had become corrupt. The nation had become 
a political disaster. The nation meant to be God's holy people is now described by four negative words. In verse 4, we see that Judah was sinful, full of iniquity, evildoers, and corrupt. Sin had ruined this nation. These children of God had forsaken their father, according to verse 4. They were estranged from their very own father. As a pastor here, I get to share in your happy occasions. And those days are great days when I get to share, perhaps in a graduation or a wedding or the birth of a child. And some of you have even invited me over for a Super Bowl party when the Patriots were actually good. That was fun. There's a lot of joy and fun in those activities. But I also get to share in your sad times. And some of the saddest conversations I have with you has to do with broken relationships with your children. Parents will tell me, I I love my children so much. I did everything I could for them when I brought them up. But now they want nothing to do with me. They have completely rejected me and the values that I raised them with. The pain of these parents is almost incurable. This is the pain that God, your heavenly Father, feels when his children reject him. This is the pain that God felt from the nation of Judah in Isaiah's day. And this is the pain that God the Father feels today when people in his church reject him as well. The Apostle Peter uses some of the same words to describe the church that Isaiah used in Isaiah chapter 1. I'd like for us to read from 1 Peter 2, 9 together to see the similarities between the church and Israel. Let's read together. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So just like ancient Israel, we Christians are a holy nation. We are a chosen people. And so when we rebel against God, our Father, he feels deeply the pain of our forsaking him. Well, you regain God's gracious privilege by repenting not only of political sins, but also of religious sins. Deliberate sin is the opposite of faith in God. When you are sinning, you are rebelling against God. You are not living by faith. And we now see a second sin that the people of Israel had committed against God, beginning in verse 11. The people of Judah were guilty of too much religion. Say what? How could God accuse his own people of being too religious? They were doing the religious rituals. They were offering up the sacrifices that God himself had commanded. But what did God call these offerings in verse 13? 
vain offerings, empty offerings. They were offerings that meant nothing to God. They were just an empty charade. Performing their religious duties had become an end in itself for Judah. And so Isaiah says to Judah, danger, danger, danger. When all of your religion does not result in a heart of love for God and a love for God's people, when all of your religion does not result in a changed life, your religion becomes obnoxious to God. God hates religion that is just going through the motions. It is not true worship. Some of you have read uh, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of the Bible called The Message. I wish that Eugene Peterson was a relative of mine, but he's not. I just love the way that he loved God and he loved the Bible and the way that he could make it come alive in today's language. This is what Eugene Peterson wrote for a paraphrase of Isaiah 1. He said to Israel, quit your worship charades. I can't stand your trivial religious games. Monthly conferences, weekly Sabbaths, special meetings, 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 meetings. I can't stand one more. This is how God felt about Judah's religion. Clearly, God is saying that his relationship with his people is broken. Finally, in verses 16 and 17, God offers a solution to the problem of committing religious sin or committing any sin for that matter. God says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. God is calling his people in these verses to do something that he mentions in in one word in verse 27. And that one word is repent. If the people would respond to God's grace with repentance, God would forgive and he would wash away their sin. God would make them clean. To repent means to turn. It means to turn away from the path you're walking down, the way towards sin, to turn around and turn back to God. That's what it means to repent. When God, by his grace, convicts you of sin, what do you need to do? Repent. Some of you fathers who are here today, This is the word of the Lord for you today. Repent. Be the chief repenter in your household. Be the leader who repents of sin and calls his family back to a relationship with God. And so God is telling Judah in this case, turn back to God. In Judah's case, they needed to turn away from violence against people. Their hands, according to verse 15, their hands were full of blood. They were just like Macbeth and Macbeth's wife. 
who had this blood on their hands, they had a spot that they could not remove because of their blood. They had no compassion for people. They had no mercy for people. And so they were full of sins of omission. They were not doing good or seeking justice for others, according to verse 17. They were not bringing justice to the fatherless or pleading the widow's cause. Instead, they were doing evil to helpless and to hopeless people. They were oppressing some of God's own chosen people. And so God says to Judah in verse 18, Look, let's reason together. Be reasonable here. Your broken nation, your broken religion, they don't have to be this way. Repent of your sin. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Judah, your sins they are many, but God's mercy is more. God's mercy is greater than all of your sin. He can and he will pay for your sin by redeeming you, according to verse 27. And so you need to respond to God's grace with repentance. If you will repent of your sin, God will bless his promised land once again, according to verse 19. But what if you don't repent? God, according to verse 20, would judge his people by having them eaten by the sword. Those are your options, God says to Judah. Repent and your land is blessed or don't repent and your land is eaten by foreigners. Now, it would not be a a good Father's Day sermon if I didn't tell you a story about one of my children. And so I'd like to tell you a story about the day that I realized that one of my children was a brilliant theologian. Now, for reasons that will become clear, I'm not going to name this son. I left home for a week on a business trip. And when I returned home, my wife told me that she had had to discipline our four-year-old son while I was away. One night, he refused to listen to my wife, and he stubbornly disobeyed her time after time after time. Yes, my son was a strong-willed child. He has a Swedish father and a Scottish mother. What do you expect from such a stubborn heritage? If there are two more stubborn people on earth than the Swedes and the Scots, I haven't met them. And so after my wife laid down the law with my son, she started to cry. My son asked her, why are you crying? After all, she wasn't the one who was receiving the discipline. He was. And so my wife responded to him by saying that she did not want to discipline him, but he just refused to obey her. Why wouldn't he obey? My son simply said in response, You're right, Mom. I don't obey you. Now, when I heard that story, I knew that we had raised a great theologian in our house. 
even though he was just four years old. He knew truth from the Bible very well. My son was saying, Mom, I don't want to obey you, and I don't have the power to obey you. He was saying that just like the people of Judah, he was living under the old covenant. But if he was going to change, he needed the new covenant that Jesus brought in with him when he died for our sins on the cross. When Jesus brought the new covenant through his blood, he gave to us a a new heart and a new spirit. Jesus, in the new covenant, gives to us a new heart, a new desire to obey God. And he gives to us as well a new spirit, the Holy Spirit, who empowers us to obey all of God's laws. Some of you here today know that you have not been obeying God. You have read the Bible and what it says. You know what it says. But what you have been doing is sticking your fingers in your ears and saying, I'm not listening. I don't want to obey What is God calling you to do today? Repent. He is calling for you to turn, to listen to his word, and to come back to God. That is God's word to you today. Repent of your sin. Turn away from it and come back to God. And so here's the picture of what you need to do brought with me today just to show you what God has in mind for you today. Turn around. You're walking away from God. Come back to him. Turn. That's what it means to repent. And every day you need to repent when God speaks to you of your sin. The first one of Martin Luther's 95 theses was this. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, Repent. He called for the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. The Christian life does not just begin with repentance. Our entire life of faith needs to be one of repentance. Every day, we need always to keep turning away from sin and turning to Christ. And what is the benefit if we repent Forgiveness. We are washed clean. Though our sins are like scarlet, they become as white as snow. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't Jesus a great Savior? Jesus can forgive all of your rebellious sins. He can forgive all your religious sins. He can forgive all of your hypocrisy and all of your religious games. And Jesus can change your heart. Well, you regain God's gracious privileges by repenting finally of social sins. In verse 21, Isaiah, the prophet of God, uses a shocking word. As you look at verse 21, do you see that word that Isaiah uses to describe God's own people? It's a word that I don't know that I'm allowed to say in church. But since the word is in the Bible, I'm going to say it. It's the word whore. How the faithful city 
has become a whore. When God made his covenant with Jerusalem, it was just like a marriage covenant. God, of course, wanted a faithful bride like every husband wants. But what did God have instead? A whore, a prostitute. In both verse 21 and verse 26, we see God's goal for Jerusalem, faithfulness. We see in verse 21 that the faithful city had become a prostitute. And in verse 26, after God restores his repentant people, they will be called once again the faithful city. The key way that Jerusalem had become unfaithful to God was in the way that they treated the rest of God's people. They committed many social sins against the other people in the city of Jerusalem. They were murderers, according to verse 21. They were rebels, thieves, receivers of bribes and unjust, according to verse 23. Jerusalem was like silver that had been made inferior by dross. They were like watered-down wine, according to verse 22. And so as dross and as watered-down wine, the whole city was destined for the garbage dump. They were worthless in God's sight. Because they were committing such social sins, God makes another shocking statement in verse 24. God says, "Ah, I will get relief from my enemies and avenge myself on my foes. Who is God calling his enemies here? Who are his enemies? His own people. The people of Judah. He says, you people are my enemies. And as a result, there is nothing that he can do but discipline them and judge them. By their unfaithfulness to God, by all of their social sins, God says that his own people are acting like his enemies. But in verses 25 and 26, we see another word of hope amid judgment. We see again that our sins, they are many, but God's mercy, it's more. God says in verse 25, I will turn my hand against you. God would discipline and judge his people by his hand, just like my wife disciplined my son many years ago. And what would be the result for Jerusalem? A miracle. God would do a miracle. God says he will smelt away your dross as with lye and remove all your alloy in verse 25. In verse 22, the silver in Jerusalem, it had all become dross. But now, in verse 25, God's hand would turn that dross back into silver. Now, how can this be? When silver is refined, all of the impurity of the dross, it's all removed. But you can't refine dross. Dross is worthless. It's good for nothing. But what can the power of God do with one sinner who repents? What can God do with that person? God will totally undo 
what sin, Satan, and our rebellion have achieved. Satan seeks to steal and kill and destroy. Oh, but God. God will remove from Satan's hand all that he seeks to take. And how would God do that? Well, we are going to have to wait until Isaiah 53 before we see that God's hand of judgment that in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 25 was lifted up against his own people, that hand of judgment would actually fall on God's servant and God's son in Isaiah 53. This son of God, Jesus, he would be pierced for our transgressions. He would be crushed for our iniquities. He would take God's judgment for us. And what is the miracle that happens for us who believe that Jesus died in our place for our sins? We read of that miracle in 1 Peter 3 and verse 18. Let's read together. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Even if you are dross today, even if you know that you are dirty, you can still be brought close to God. You can still be made clean. How? By repentance and faith. You repent and you turn away from your life of sin. And at the same time, you put your faith in the fact that Jesus died in your place on the cross. Repentance and faith means that you can be God's holy nation again. You can be God's chosen people again. You can enjoy those gracious privileges if you return to God in repentance and faith. Repentance and faith would make of Judah a just and a righteous people, once again, according to verse 27. But if Judah refused to repent, they would be broken and consumed and judged, according to verses 28 through 31. Those who do not return to God but persist in the worship of the idols of the Canaanites, Isaiah says, they will only find death. So church, what have we learned today? All of us are guilty sinners. Our sin is a major serious problem, which our culture unfortunately does not take very seriously. Our sin is so bad that it affects our nation, it affects our religious behavior, and it affects our social behavior. Because of our sin, life is not the way it's supposed to be. Sin separates us from our good and our loving God. We will need to be cleansed if we want to come back to God and regain his gracious privileges. And what is the way back to God? It's the way of repentance and faith. 
And so if you know today that you are far from God, repent. Turn back to him. Trust that Christ and Christ alone can make you clean. Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. Let's pray together. God, how grateful that we are that you are a forgiving God. We come to you today confessing our sin. We come to you today with repentance in our hearts. We come desiring to turn from our sin and to receive your forgiveness and your mercy. Speak to your people today. Don't let them leave without dealing with their sin. Convict us all of sin so that we might turn, repent, and come back to you. In your great name we pray. Amen.